Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Team Podcast. I am your host, Joe, and with me again is my one co-host. Yeah, coming from the future, it is morning time here, six hours ahead, so if there is a... What is the opposite of a delay, like where I'm coming in early? Um, the... the Marty, we have to go back. <laughs> that's that's the entire opposite. Yeah, it's, yeah. We'll just play mine it's like six seconds so soon. Yeah, it's Don Julian coming from Spain. Oh, I found out what the time zone is called here. They don't have cool names like we do in America, but it is called UMT plus one. Wow, not not fun. Losing points, Spain. Bad view, bad wings. I know, man. A like, whole bad. conversation that's not making it into the podcast. <laughs> so if you didn't listen to our last episode scheduling is weird sadly mike cannot join us right now we hope we can get him back soon but right now it just works out that i can record at two in the morning eastern standard time and don julian over here can record from spain at seven in the morning so no, eight thirty-seven. this is umt plus one. Oh, plus one i'm sorry I have the whole <laughs> rolodex of time zones Right next to the D&D stuff. Yeah. This week we are talking about difficulty. That's right. How hard or easy things are in the world of tabletop gaming. Do you have anything you'd like to start with? Yeah, I have a, a weird one that I think uh, board games that can be easy, but also can be difficult. And then I want to I want to move later into uh, some that are like just strictly easy and uh, strictly difficult. But Scrabble. I mean, I could play this game, uh, you know, even if I didn't know many words, you can just be writing three to four letter words. But I don't know if you ever uh, played with someone that knows a bunch of weird words and you're constantly going, dude, let's look this up to the point where you're going, I don't want to play with you because you just gave me like a seven letter word that I that has no vowels. Uh, so that that's a game that I find can be incredibly easy and just furiously difficult. I don't think I've ever actually played Scrabble. Maybe I played it like on a computer game version once. That's helpful. But I don't think I've ever actually played Scrabble with somebody before. No, I've I played with like three people before where like me and another person are just writing basic word like baked or road or something. Four letters, maybe max five, never hitting like double triples or, or double doubles or anything. Um, and then there's like this one person that just knows all the words or they write like two letter words. Oh, have you ever played words with friends? I have played words with friends before. Okay. So this is, that's similar to Scrabble, but I feel like the ability to just play down random ass crap that isn't real, uh, or that like, uh, you find out like, uh, you ever hear, hear of the word key? It's Q I sounds familiar. Well, I mean, I just I wouldn't be able to use it in a sentence, but that's a big that you're you're using the letter Q, and I think the letter I even gives you a couple extra points. Uh, and so using these kind of words now, like now it's like okay, is it really made up or not? Because like I know key as in like K I, which is like your spiritual energy. Obviously, it also goes into D and D, but you know it was a real it's like a real concept before D and D, so. Yeah, so that's even another thing is like knowing these kind of words because you can just like bump up against some random I uh, with a K and then get a bunch of points if it's in the right location. Yeah, difficulty, you know, was one thing I was thinking about while we were discussing this topic was how, yes, the games themselves can be designed to be either 
extremely easy or extremely difficult. But another big factor is a lot of times the people you're playing with. You could have someone who's extremely clever and knows how, like Monopoly, for example. Like you could have someone who just knows the right places to go to, the, the people who like bargain the hardest and don't budge an inch make it very different compared to someone who's like me who just does like the stupidest deals ever just because it's either funny or he's bored yeah because i i think that way about like battleship um uh you can just place all your stuff right in a row to confuse it or to confuse the other player or scatter them all over the place but if uh if you have a player or an opponent that is really strategical about what they're doing especially and i we talked about this on this podcast uh risk you know, you you think you're just having an easy game, you know, going across the, the map, and then all of a sudden you're getting pummeled by someone that's baiting you in to continue to uh, imperialize the the world. And you wiped out on turn one and never play again. <laughs> Screw this game. So there's a, a Chinese game that is supposed to be the most difficult game in the world. It's called Go. Now, I've never played this game, but I looked into it quite a bit. And uh, what it is, is uh, they're black and white tiles. And apparently this is like a super hard game that's been around for a couple thousand years. And it's all like numbers based and plan and objective based. It's almost like a strategical war style game from a couple thousand years ago that turned into tournaments. Now, people have these these go tournaments, seeing how quickly they can beat this game but the object is to like uh enclose tiles uh you're on a grid board with these white and black tiles and the scoring is really bizarre if you don't know the scoring and how to score like this i don't feel like is a game even even me not having played it and trying to explain it right now i feel like i'm just ranting but it looks like such an incredibly difficult game but it's been around for thousands of years so there's got to be a very fun element to it so that that's another thing with like game difficulties is when does a game become too difficult that it's not fun or when is the fun increased because it's so difficult? I mean, I don't really have an answer. I could assume maybe it's like on a really weird bell curve. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. The idea where uh, higher up you the more enjoyable and the farther across is more difficult and it'll like it'll just go and then eventually I love it. Just, it. I love it. I think it wouldn't even like <laughs> dip down like maybe a little bit just because there's certain people who like that yeah but i think it would more like flat drop at a certain point and then maybe at a certain point it would just climb back up where it's like the difficulty is obviously in the game that like, was a uh, stupid sentence i just said sorry continue no 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 it's perfect so like with carcassonne you know carcassonne is not difficult to play but then, like what we were talking about earlier, if you have an opponent that really knows how to lay out some of those cities, lay out some, like even start collecting tokens to uh, just putting themselves in a better position to win, that's when it starts getting more difficult. But yeah, I guess with a lot of games, we talked about games of chance before, random number generating. That can really throw a game that could be easy into something really, really difficult because you're constantly looking for one card that could help you win and then. You never get it. Yeah. And then, you know, another game that could be really difficult is like Road Bingo. Road Bingo. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like different things that we don't always talk about. And that's definitely like a that's got to be a game people a lot of people are familiar with. And it's a game still, but that could be like so wildly (laughs) easy or hard for you. How do you guys play? Because I feel like maybe we 
I play a different game that we don't call Road Bingo, uh, where we go with maybe your name or the alphabet, and you have to find a sign with that. When I was really young, we used to go to Florida every year, and we would drive from New York to Florida, usually stop about halfway. Holy cow. And very early on, my mom bought actual Road Bingo cards with like the little sliders on them. Wow. Now, here's the thing. I was very strange as a child and did not need to actually play the game road bingo. I just liked the, the little slider things on there. And that would entertain me for hours on end somehow. <laughs> that was easy mode for you. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even going to actually look for these things. I'm just really enjoying this slider. I didn't even know it was bingo. I just liked <laughs> to play with the sliders. I don't know why they were like see-through red sliders. But yeah, that's what I do know we had those. I probably played it at some point because, you know, going back and forth, that's hundreds of hours, hundreds of miles back and forth and stuff. But of course, there's always the more extreme license plate game where the only way to win is if you find the Hawaiian license plate. Oh, God, that's not a real thing. I don't even know if Hawaii exists. Probably doesn't. Have you ever been there? No, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) right uh so there's two games um that i can think of that i feel like there's an easy mode and a hard mode and that's checkers and chess i feel like most people know how to play checkers and even if you have a pretty skilled opponent you you probably still have a fair chance of winning or at least of doing well in it but with chess i mean if you don't know how the pieces work someone that does know how to do that even if someone just has the bare basics can just run you over if all you know is how those pieces move yeah so those are that's a really difficult and easy game to play I, do they have tabletop simulator checkers we should do that one <laughs> in my experience with checkers it's come down to this it's either somebody makes a big mistake and they lose or whoever goes second wins and that's because who goes first has moved their pieces out farther than the other player has. Well, I think it comes to whoever takes their back row off of the the player or the pieces. Because uh, once you move that back row, well, now that person can get a king and it's over. That guy's going anywhere he wants. Uh, so, yeah, I think that it's whoever moves their back row first, which would have to, if all moves equal, I I assume it would be second player that does that. Yeah. And that's another thing about chess is like uh, if you're the white player, uh, you get to go first, which I don't I'm not a chess expert by any means. So I don't know if that's an advantage or disadvantage. But then black going second, I feel like you're trailing behind. But at the very least, you get to see, oh, this is how they're setting up. This is how they're progressing through the game. Exactly. So one game that I think is kind of interesting, and this is kind of going back onto my earlier topic about like the person you're playing with. But that's uh, the game Snake Oil. Have you ever played Snake Oil? Oh, no. What is this? You will freaking love this game. Nice. There's a deck of cards handed out, and each card has two words on them. You know, think of the concept of, like, uh, Cards Against Humanity, but basically infinite replayability. So somebody draws a card, and they have has a career on it, and you say, so, like, a career might be, like, Executioner or president, or teacher. So then everybody else goes around, and they take two words on their cards, put them together, and they have to try and pitch that person an item that they're selling. Oh, I do love this game so far. You could have things like, oh, you're a grave digger? 
well, what I got for you is the murder shovel. <laughs> no, no, it was fashion shovel. That was the joke we one of our groups made was the fashion oh, shovel. Wow. You will look the best digging up those bodies. <laughs> and so it's like everybody's got to sell this item and whoever gives the best item, you know, cards who gets humanity rules, either who makes you laugh the hardest or yeah. sells you the most relevant item, gives you the card, and that's a point to you. <laughs> this uh, jewel-encrusted shovel with the <laughs> action blade at the back end. That sounds like a really fun thing because it's like a um, like an improv yeah. uh, game. Oh, ace. The difficulty in that comes in like, you know, sometimes somebody could just be on fire with ideas. Right. Other times people can be boring with ideas. Sometimes you just, everybody has cards that just suck. And it is part of the, you know, that's part of the game. It's like Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> I just keep using that one as an example because that's something almost everybody knows now. But yeah, you could get a bad hand and be like, well, I just have the white rock. How, how, how does that help? I don't know, man. I, these are my throwaway Sick cards. of green rocks? Try white rock. <laughs> you can paint it any color you want. <laughs> uh, so going down that same vein of creativity, uh, like Pictionary. I don't know if you ever played this, but you have to draw the item that, uh, or the word or something without, you know, and so if you're suck at drawing like I do, uh, you're going to be like, I think it was the office where my Michael Scott had like windmill or maybe it's community and like it was a windmill, but it looked like a swastika and they just keep <laughs> it over and over. And it's like, <laughs> they keep guessing and he just keeps circling. It's like, stop circling it. Draw more stuff. <laughs> I got to look that clip up so I can show you later and uh, <laughs> future joke and uh, add it to the podcast. Wait a minute. So I'm future right now. Maybe I'm adding it to the podcast. So one thing I was going to bring up, and this is a little bit off topic, but almost on topic for our sh channel is video game board games. And I mean, even going as simple as saying playing something like Monopoly on a, on a computer or playing game of life or something like that and you can set difficulties for the ai and it's always weird when you think about that because sometimes it's just they make the right decision and other times it literally just lets them cheat oh yeah like there are some games where it's like oh you set the ai to a hard difficulty oh they just roll exactly what they need every single time or they have just happen to have more resources than you or something like that no, that's that's what I'd like to hit on is uh, it sounds like you're always playing on those upper echelons of difficulties where you're like, yeah, man, they're not helping me out at all. Real player. See, I'm always on like easy, maybe medium, unless there's like ultra easy and then easy. And so I just am <laughs> I'm always playing against these guys that are just making dumb decisions. Like, why why did you do that? Like, that's even for me at this level, I wouldn't have made that poor decision. Uh, and then you're just winning. I I I I used to have a Monopoly for iPad where you could like sit it down. It was almost like a board. You know, you could have it auction off the properties, and just to make it go quicker, you know, you just buy it for a dollar. And the easy uh, AIs would never buy it for a dollar. Uh, but if you had a hard one, they'd be like, uh, "I'll buy it for like four times what it's worth." Like this is not going to be. Uh, the easiest for you. I think we, I think we talked about this on the podcast too. Oh, probably. <laughs> We're like ten episodes deep, and we've already repeated everything. I'm gonna start sending in questions for us. 
It's like, can you guys talk about anything else? <laughs> Please. You guys yeah. suck. Why do I listen to you, Don Julian? <laughs> this is the worst show ever. But yeah, no. So uh, the ch- changing the difficulty on some of those things because I think even like a normal computer, it like how is it computing? Um, you know, simple algorithms versus more complex one. I think that they can just be like, no, nah, we're just going to make this thing mess up on purpose all the time, or we're going to make this thing never mess up. As you say that, that does remind me of one thing, and I don't know how true this is, but I heard somewhere, at least for some things, what the difficulty is, is it'll be like, depending on how hard you make it, depends on how many times the computer runs the idea of what to play. Oh, wow. So, like, easy would be, like, run this ten times and choose the best one. And because it's 10 random times, it'll be like, okay, this is probably the best one. Doesn't mean it's great, but it's the best one I can think of in that 10 times you've given me. Right. And I think that that's how the the robot apocalypse starts, you know. Uh, (laughs) Are we on easy mode or are we on hard mode? Just one one hard mode game of risk away from the (laughs) apocalypse war. It reminds me of The Edge of Tomorrow, not to get too far off topic, but you ever see that movie with Tom Cruise and uh, Emily Blunt, I think it is, uh, Jim Halpert's real wife? Yeah, so they they just movie, hate the ending. Yeah, I heard they were making a second one. So, yeah, but I think it's a repeat of the first, so who knows? Uh, but no, so <laughs> it's the exact same movie. So that's kind of what the AI was doing was going back over and over and over all their moves. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to some tabletop news. This week's going to be brief because I don't know when this episode's going to come out, and I figured this would be some kind of fun news we could share now. So recently, I've been introduced to these things based on an ad on my Facebook called Dragon Eye Dice. There will be a link in the description, and I highly recommend you check them out because they are these badass dice that look like they just have a dragon eyeball in the middle of them. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. Uh, I think it'd be awesome because if you roll a 20, you get like that, uh, those three triangles <laughs> almost looks like the, the Triforce thing if you uh, combine them. But uh, yeah, so they uh, they have those eyes. That'd be sweet to roll. It'd be like, dude, dragon eyes. Yeah, the eye is the highest value of the die based on what all these look like and they they just look really sweet you definitely deserve to at least go and look at them it's going to be a kickstarter and they have more sharp edges and round edges i really like the sharp edges personally okay this is what i was going to ask you earlier when we were checking this out is uh does the sharp edges or the round edges impact the die rolls in any way i have no clue Let's Google it real quick. That sounds fun to talk about on the show. And I do like that they're not actually called sharp or round edge finish. They're called legendary cut for the round traditional smooth edge or regal cut, elegant diamond cut, crystal sharp finish. I wish we had a promotional code for this. I'm going to just make one up. This won't work, but uh, you can put in uh, the tabletop team at checkout and uh, get 0% off. It'll actually probably give you an error message. Um, the CIA may show up at your house, actually, so I really don't. <laughs> CIA at this house? Now, this is the very first result I got from Googling this. It led me to a Reddit article. Somebody was asking, why are dice with sharp edges and corners considered more random, quote-unquote, than dice with rounded edges and corners? Interesting. And the top answer, and this is literally just the first answer, and we're not diving any more deeper than this, is the act of rounding the dice usually means they've been tumbled to remove the sharp edges. 
there's no way to make sure all the edges are worn evenly or all the faces are equal. And then there's a follow-up saying, however, larger dice with sharp edges don't roll sufficiently well over short distances used at an RPG table to properly randomize. So it's kind of up to a certain point. I think that's a pretty good answer in my opinion. Oh, man. Okay. It sounds right. Okay. That was what I was going to say is that I know nothing about it. You could have been reading off a not safer work subreddit. (laughs) This isn't a really. I mean, I was. (laughs) Yeah. This is just a gone wild post that went off topic. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, though, because, like, how do they make sure every edge is is rounded off? I'd like to. You know what? I'm about to call Dragon Eyes up and be like, dude, you're a freaking legendary cut. How legendary is it? So just real quick, uh, these dice, there's five colors. They're supposed to be the different dragons, red, blue, green, black, and white. And then if you sign up for the Kickstarter, which there is no date on it, which is why I may be able to get this out beforehand, but no promises. I'll leave a note in the comments if uh, it's already out or not. But they say anyone who backs it in the first 48 hours gets a Goddess of Dragons D20, which you can only see on the mobile version of the site for some reason. Very odd. It's this very cool eye with like all these different colors in it. I highly recommend you check it out. Even if you don't buy a set of dice, they look really cool. I'm probably going to be dropping $200 to get one of each color. Wait, there is how much are they? Dude, I don't know. But dice are expensive. Yeah. The cooler the dice, the more expensive it is. Because I will say that they come in five different colors. Red, uh, green, blue, and then there's like black with purple and then white with a little bit of purple. And every one of them look really badass other than the green and blue ones, which, I mean, they still look cool, but just not nearly as cool as the other colors. But maybe that's just my preference. Yeah, if I were to get one color, it'd be the black ones, but... They do all look pretty awesome, and I'd love to have a full. I'd love to have a full set of each color, to be honest. Well, and I will say that that one that's only on mobile version, which uh, you had to show me a picture of, I was on the computer. That one probably is the most cool looking one. That one looks really interesting. Yeah, but yeah, so go check those out. Uh, Dragon Dice BlessedInnovations.com. dot com. Anyways, let's move on to D and D. D and D has a very important thing with challenge called challenge rating. Now I think me and Mike have papooed it on the podcast before because it is just not good. It is not a good system to balance the game, especially like the more players you have, the more broken it gets. Yeah. Challenge rating is something that I don't really understand fully because even like when you guys have explained it to me, I always am not sure how it is. So let me, let me ask you this. If something has a challenge rating of five, you're DMing, obviously, uh, and then you have me and two other people, what level do we need to be at for a challenge rating of five to not be easy, but not be TPK? Like something that would actually be like, you know, a session. The easiest thing to say, because you gave me a really difficult situation that I got to think about for a moment. We'll keep your base idea. It's a challenge rating five monster. That means... It should be a average level challenge for a party of four level five adventurers. Okay, so four level five should be able to do a five. Yes, that's the idea. The thing is, and a lot of DMs agree, is especially once you get to larger groups, it doesn't matter what you have or what level they have. You need to make that challenge deadly because that's the thing is it's like it quickly, the way this challenge rating works, it's like easy 
medium, normal, hard, challenging, and deadly, I think. And it very quickly goes to deadly. Like, even if you said, like, a challenge rating 6 against four level 5 players, I'm pretty sure the scale says deadly. So they definitely need to make a more diverse scale, which I don't think they're ever going to do. That's the problem with balancing, right? And then it also comes down to the type of characters you have and, you know, the creature you use. And some creatures are scaled very differently. For example, I believe a Mummy Lord is challenge rating 3. And it's got this thing called Mummy Rot, which is, like, super deadly. Like, that is a TPK there, even if you have a party of, like, level 10 adventurers against a challenge rating 3 monster. And what is what is the that uh, special ability do? I'm looking up exactly what it is because I don't want to misquote it. Okay, so... Not even a mummy lord, a standard mummy, challenge rating 3, has an ability called Rotting Fist. Melee weapon attack, plus 5 to hit, reach 5. On a hit, it's 2d6 plus 3 bludgeoning damage, plus 3d6 necrotic damage. Holy cow. Against a level 3, like if you did that against a level 3 party, that could right there knock somebody out if they had low enough health. Well, yeah, because that's a lot of dice to roll. Are you rolling like five of them or six of them? That's 5d6 plus three. Um, And then if the target is a creature, which if you're going against your PCs, they probably are, (laughs) um, it must succeed on a DC-12 constitution saving throw or be cursed with mummy rot. The cursed target can't regain hit points, and its hit point maximum decreases by 3d6 every 24 hours that elapse. The curse reduces the target's hit point maximum to zero. The target dies, and his body turns to dust. The curse lasts until a remove curse spell or other magic. Holy cow. Okay, so that is a... So, <laughs> so if we had four level three players they're dead yeah they each get hit with this thing within 24 hours even if they survive the fight and do not have like what would what would cure that cure wounds and then it's it less- remove curse and remove curse is a level three spell at if you are level three you do not have that spell available to you yeah you're about to go off wondering and you got 24 hours to find someone yeah because you can't even heal you can't even take a long rest nothing nope can't do it. it says you do not re you cannot regain hit points oh that sucks so bad <laughs> yeah and i mean dude picture that for like even a level five party who could potentially have a remove curse more than likely there's only going to be one maybe two people who have that spell and it's like pure luck if they have it stocked right like if they even took the spell right now hypothetically so a cleric a warlock and a wizard could have it at that level. A eldritch knight and an arcane tr- trickster can learn it, and a div- oh, and a divine soul sorcerer could also have it. But like at level five, that is still extremely deadly. Going up even farther, like that thing hits five d six plus two. Hold on, let me take a look at the rest of its stats. It's just the mummy is a perfect example of why challenge rating doesn't work yeah it's got 11 armor class which is very low but it has 58 hit points and with a party that are uh challenge rating or that are all level three i mean your your hit points aren't that high maybe like a little bit less than 20 yeah it depends like if you have a bunch of casters i guess you could have someone up to 40 maybe it depends because it's like you, you either have a bunch of d6s a bunch of d8s a bunch of d10s or the one class that has a d12 so if you have a barbarian, they might be fine, but... They're all barbarians. 
Yeah, but then you don't. If he's a barbarian, he's not going to be a caster as well. And then get this. So it has a thing called Dreadful Glare. Targets one creature within 60 feet of it. If the target can see the mummy, it must succeed on a DC 11. Not super high, but still not great. Yeah. At level 3, not everybody can make that that easily. Wisdom saving throw against the magic or become frightened until the end of the mummy's next turn. However, if the target fails the saving throw by 5 or more, it is also paralyzed. Ooh. Which means the mummy has advantage on the attacks against that person. Okay, so is that... What was the attack called? Mummy's wrap? Rotting fist is the initial Oh, rotting attack. fist. Okay, and so... Yeah, what what is the plus to hit on that one? It's plus five. Oh man, so he's got advantage. I mean, if he's rolling anything, I mean, most likely your AC isn't crazy high at level three, anyways. Unless if you have like a really nice DM who's just like, yeah, you can have whatever whatever armor and shields you want. <laughs> I know. I think I think I had like a, a a twenty right off the bat recently when we were playing that one thing. That was pretty sweet. Uh, okay, so like another thing is like DC checks. And since I'm not a DM, I don't know how this works always. So I'm always curious of like, oh man, like I got to roll something. Are you creating those DC checks on the fly or are there a lot of like pre-made DC checks? Well, for creatures and monsters, there's almost always pre-made checks. Starting at five and going up by increments of five, setting a DC is normally is very easy, easy, medium, Hard, very hard, and a DC 30 is nearly impossible. DC 30. So you got to have a plus 10 and get a 20. Or would you consider a nat 20 to succeed on a DC 30? Depends on the DM. Joe likes to say a nat 20 is an auto success no matter what. Unless if I tell you otherwise. In rare cases, I have gone, this is so nearly impossible. You have disadvantage, and so you need to roll two nat 20s for this to work. Oh, like, that is, like, how there's very happened. rare times where I'll be like, look, even a nat 20 won't get you this. Like that, And those are, like, the really out there questions that I get from some people. Yeah. But there's a lot of DMs, myself, Brennan Lee Mulligan, I think Matt Mercer, usually goes a nat 20 is an auto success and usually needs to be honored especially because i'm taking this straight from brennan lee mulligan i don't know if you know who that is uh i don't but we, what podcast or what uh doesn't he he do does a, dimension 20 um with the college humor guys yes okay I he is a guy yeah. i really look up you know i don't want to be his exact style i I believe in my own style versus everyone else's uh but i definitely try to take a lot of aspects from how he dms and put it into my own practice yeah he he said on a uh a talk thing he does where it was like you're rolling a lot of times and yes it's still it's a five percent chance on a die one out of 20 they're not rare it's when you least expect it or most need it is when it is rare and it's you know, those are the sucker punches. Those are the ones where it's like somebody goes, if I roll a nat 20, can I come back to life? Like, even after you've made all your death saves, you can go, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, one out of 20 chance once is going to, they roll that nat 20. It's like, holy shit. Now, like what? <laughs> now I got to honor this. I, I got to say, man, uh, I, I hate when I'm rolling and I get like three nat 20s in a row. And it's like, it, we'll be at the bar. It's like, hey, uh, what's on the menu? You're like, I don't know. Roll. Uh, freaking 20 oh dude this place has everything oh sweet okay so uh i want to have this thing okay roll 20 oh man this is the most delicious thing ever and then we're in combat okay uh swing a one okay your sword is stuck in this dude i'm like what 
dude, I was at dinner rolling nat 20s. That's the other thing, too, is I'm very harsh with my nat ones. I use the fumble table. I use, like, an app that has some really fun ones for all types of attacks and stuff. But a lot of DMs aren't, like, they don't, you know, Brendan Lee Mulligan doesn't treat natural ones as, like, critical failures unless if it's, like, it would go really well with the story. Me, it's like, oh, you swing your sword, and then I hit the thing, and it goes, you drop your sword, and it gets kicked uh, 30 feet away from you. More often than not, it happens to me while I'm playing a bad guy, and I get really upset, and it's more funny that way. But yeah, I mean, it's very different from DM to DM. Rules as written, let me go back to your original question, though, about the nat 20 thing. Is Rules as written, a nat 20 is not an auto success on skill checks. Most of the time you're going, your DM, a DM will probably set a DC at around 20 or 25 for like those really challenging. So things. here's a question I have about like changing that difficulty because I, I don't know how this would work or if this stacks. Okay. So let's say we have like two clerics and a bard and uh, then we have a fighter that is going to go attack this thing. And you're like, all right, man, it's like a DC 30. One of the clerics uh, puts on him, I think it's Bless, or they get a plus four to a check. And then, so they both do that. Yeah, Bless adds a D4. All right, so two of those, uh, and then a Bardic Inspiration. That, if you're talking about attacking somebody, that is more of an AC thing, which is usually like what is set for each creature. Oh, right. But it's a similar concept. I guess still. very similar. And I mean, what you're going with is still not yeah. like wrong. Like if I don't know if Bless stacks, that's a good question. But that's why I said two different clerics, not just one sitting there uh, blessing the same dude over and over. Okay. Two instances of the same spell don't stack with each other. But I mean, I guess you could do bless you could have a cleric do guidance which is two separate spells and same thing you roll a d4 and add it and then you could have a bard give you bardic inspiration yeah and then you have a mastermind rogue gives you the bonus help action from 30 feet away that fighter's got advantage plus uh all the help in the world to hit something a minimum of a plus three to his attack that's like the most unlucky fighter if he just rolls three ones on those dice (laughs) All right, so that's where we're at with, like, this challenge rating, is that this is how much extra we need to, like, get this. Unless you already have, like, incredible stats. I'm talking about just, like, average players. Yeah. How often are average players coming in contact with, like, something that's a DC 30? How often does that happen? Because I don't feel like I ever have. If I did, I didn't know. It really depends on um, the party and what they're going up against and how they're handling the world. Uh, say somebody in my barwalk campaign is like, I want to know how to disable the Titan that's about to destroy us all. That's the big bad. They knew it right from the beginning. That would be, in my opinion, like a DC 30. If they got a nat 20, let me take a step back. I'd be like, okay, that would either be like a history, a religion, or an intelligence check. And they'd be like, okay, uh, here's what I got. Here's what I got. Here's what I got. I'd be like, okay, there's absolutely no way you can be a 30 with that if you roll and then i would be like if you roll a nat 20 i will give you a hint to this question in dimension 20 for example emily axford plays a bard called fig who has like a plus 14 to persuasion i can't remember exactly how they got up to that i think they had a magic item that helped boost things too but still it was like a plus 14 and so it's like at a certain moment brendan is like i need you to roll quadruple disadvantage and she rolled 4d20, and, like, she's like, I got a 17. And he's like, how'd you get a 17 while rolling 4d20 and taking the lowest? 
And she's like, I'm a bard, bitch. That's my shit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so kind of speaking in the same vein, have you ever had a, uh, something you wanted to happen as a DM and you just set the DC super low and your party still failed? And you're like, what the heck, guys? <laughs> I made this so easy for you. How deep of a cut do you want me to uh, to bring? I don't know, man. You, this you... would involve you. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, no. Okay, if this, if this is it, then go ahead. <laughs> okay, here's where the DC was so low was with a little shithead dwarf named flint what woke up in the ass. past and met, met his dad who <laughs> died when he was, before he was born and i wanted to give him his super badass cleric armor that i was gonna give him and he's like no man i don't want to be here i want to go i want to go find my boyfriend elf and like listen man there's demons everywhere there's devils you can't go anywhere without you got to help these guys and then you can go and you're like fine <laughs> and like you gotta roll to like figure this out and you're like i roll and you get like a five or something i'm like you really shouldn't be going man now joe railroaded the shit out of that scenario <laughs> but that was still like a moment where i was like i set it up you had like this hammer of one god and the shield of another god the idea was you bang them together and you get this massive suit of dwarf cleric armor and i was like so excited to give that to you and you're just like i don't want to be here <laughs> and i do remember that he didn't know how to to activate it and you just really like, all right hey do this <laughs> like <laughs> You're you're only so bad. It was so bad because literally the way I set it up, and again, you know, this was young Joe. <laughs> I've learned from now, but like the idea was, you're supposed to be like follow, following in your father's foot. Flint was supposed to be following in his father's footsteps. So like his father has the same weapon and shield, and he like bangs them together, and he gets this badass armor. And Flint's like, "How do I do that?" <laughs> and I'm like, I "Just told you, literally told you, roll a d20, I guess." <laughs> Were you paying attention? <laughs> So what about the other way around where you had something that was so challenging and you were like, there's no way anyone's going to get this. And then you had to follow through with it. Worst case scenario was last week, actually dark Murica. I did a whole bunch of lore drops. And on top of that, the party also had recently gotten an intern familiar, um, specifically Maynard, the wizard, their first intern Bart died on the first round of his first turn in combat because he had commoner stats. So he had four HP and took 10 damage. So he instantly died. Oh no. Wait, he, they, they just got an intern and he died. Did they get a new one? Yeah. So the next day, <laughs> okay. a new intern shows up as a DM. I like to have an NPC with the party so I can like voice some basic things like that they might not catch. Cause for example, like they were like, man, what do we do about this town? These people aren't good. And like, as Bart, I was like, bosses you have evidence against these town doing extremely illegal and bad things you could just bring this to the cops <laughs> so the next day they wake up and there's this elderly 90 year old woman called rose who's an intern <laughs> so that's the preamble for this i gave the players a bunch of dreams to help build out their lore and one of them nexibus who is a tiefling his story is he was human at one point died and then a god brought him back as a tiefling by accident because his patron nana sin we have made as like an elderly grandma since she's millions of years old she like i think this is what you look like <laughs> she gave him a massive quest to find her lost cat 
to get his memories back. Wow. So they got the intern at the town. They got the this information at the town, and they're riding back to like their home base to report on their job well done. Nexabus, who is Mike's character, and with this quest, turns to Rose and says, "Do you know anything about this cat?" Joe's like, "She probably doesn't know anything, but I'll roll." Rolled, got a nat twenty. <laughs> I was so pissed because I critted on myself <laughs> and was like fuck i don't want to give them this lore dump i was saving for later but i guess i have to right and so i went on and explained about the theory of this pocket dimension on earth that i didn't really want to go into yet because i was still kind of working on it but it was definitely something i was going to reveal soon to them i was like guess i'm dropping this now like rose how do you know all that I just do. I read a book once. <laughs> well, that's what it was. She, she's an intern. She's like, I've studied this stuff. You kind of go into a whole thing of deities and patrons, and you find one thing that interests you, and you just kind of go to the <laughs> Now that's fun. Yeah, so, okay, so challenge ratings can be uh, a lot of fun. It can be difficult. It can be uh, easy for some things. Uh, but, yeah, the main ones are, like, AC and DC and then creature uh or challenge rating cr so those are the three are there any other ones in D that kind of make the challenge a little bit more the only thing that could make things more challenging is when you have boss creatures such as liches or beholders dragons almost all of the big ones have an additional thing called a layer which adds layer actions to a fight which usually goes off on initiative 20 and those specifically do say on there like you know, having this brings their DC up. I think it's pretty one-to-one usually. I think adding a layer just increases their difficulty by one. But it's really interesting when you try to homebrew layer actions, which I have done a lot in uh, Murica and such, just to add like more flavor to it. And it's like, how do you make this in a creature thing and be like, it, it has no hit points or anything, but it's still an entity that's causing trouble. Yeah, uh, I find layer actions to be quite fun was the one that that was in that spaceship tree thing uh where these slugs would fall from the ground and then there'd be a random magic was that uh do you know what i'm talking about yes the flatworms monster has an innate ability to fling leeches at people they do a d4 of psychic damage if they hit and then they do a wild magic surge joe loves wild magic so much can it be very effective? Yes, but because of that wild magic, it's like this can either do jack shit or like TPK in one round. And the Flatworms monster had a whole lot more cooler stuff to do. So I decided to make it so the lair action is once per round, a leech would randomly choose somebody, fall, and then trigger. I think I, I don't know if I did the psychic damage or kept it. I can't remember, but I definitely did the wild magic stuff when it hit, and that was really fun. Yeah, I, I feel like that adds a lot of spice to the... the I always like layer actions, even though they're uh, not beneficial, because I, I, I remember in the other campaign we did, that long one, there was some layer action and some fight that, because we had so many people, the boss had an action. I think that there was two minions with him. It was our party and then another person you almost stop remembering that there is a layer action. And so you're like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, and the earth shakes, a thing falls. It's like, oh my God, it totally ruined my... So you almost have to constantly be prepared for something random to happen. I like that. I think that makes a, a big difference in the... Kind of reminds me of my poor memory with legendary actions. I'll do like pretty good for like the first round maybe with legendary actions. And then I just 
fully forget that. What are legendary actions? A legendary action is usually a boss creature's ability to do some sort of predefined action in between other people's turns when it's not their turn in the initiative. If done properly, it's why one creature can take on a group of four party and it still be, oh, this is a fair fight because they can like move or cast a spell or do a full attack in between their normal initiative, which is very deadly. But a lot of times I forget about it and it kind of screws me over. Can they do a legendary action once per round or in between literally every uh, action? I don't know all of them. Tiamat, for example, might be different. Because that's, you know, a challenge rating 30. But, like, most creatures that can do legendary actions have basically three legendary action points. And then certain skills cost more points. So, like, a lot of creatures have, like, the, I can move without taking an opportunity attack. That's one point. I can do a single attack. That's one point. I can cast a cantrip. That is one point. But then it's like, oh, I can cast this, like, third level spell. That would be, like, two points. And then there's things where it's like, oh, I can do this massive area effect thing that is, like, the equivalent of, like, a fifth or sixth level spell. That would be all three points. Yeah. If you're playing on a map, especially, it's like, are the players positioned properly to, like, do something like that? Or would it be more beneficial if I just attack this guy and then you know, used all my legendary actions to attack this one person or move away because the barbarian's up close in my face hitting me. <laughs> That's something I want to do. I want to play a barbarian, see how that, how difficult that is. That's another thing about D&D that makes things difficult is the character you play. I know that as a cleric, uh, starting off that as a, as a new player was pretty difficult trying to figure out what spells match. But then I've played as like... Um, I played as a paladin recently, and that seemed quite a bit more simple compared to a cleric and more more fun for sure. And then I imagine a fighter, it's just, hey, let's go hit things. really depends. Like, that's the thing is, you could be a, a simple champion fighter where it's like, yes, I hit things and I hit things good. <laughs> um, but then Battlemaster fighters are amazing. They have like 20 different maneuvers or something they can choose from. Oh, wow. and. They can be pretty situational sometimes, like a goading strike is you hit a creature. If they fail the check, they have disadvantage attacking anyone against except you. Uh, there's one skill that you swap places with someone of your choice. Like if you're like right next to them, you can like swap places and then you can give them or yourself a D8's worth of AC for the next round. Oh, wow. And they get crazy. Then there's like the Eldritch Knights. They learn spells and stuff. Wait, a fighter learns spells? Yeah. Holy cow. And then, I, I haven't even read into it, but there's like the Psychic Knights. There's like the whole Psychic subclass section. So they have their whole thing. I don't know if it's the Rune or the Giant Fighter, but like basically you have Runes and they all do different things. Like a fighter can be very interesting if done properly. But then, of course, there's Cookie Cutter... I'm going to be a champion, great weapon fighting, great weapon master, human. My name's Jeff. That's my next player character is a Jeff the the, the, the champion. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, if you've never played a champion fighter, then yeah, go ahead. Like, you know, see what it's like to create on a 19 or 20. That definitely adds to things. If that's all you play, then it's like, mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, calling you out, Jeff. Love you, buddy, but calling you out. <laughs> All of my characters will be Jeff from now on. He plays a barbarian, and he plays it so well. Like, it took him a little bit to learn, but he plays it so well now. I just love the name barbarian. Yeah, he wanted to be a bard for the horniness and a barbarian (laughs) for the rage aspect. And what he does is he does really well, because a lot of the fights I do, I, like, telegraph them. You guys know you're going into a fight. So what he does is he's like, okay, we have a couple, we have a minute, 
I'm going to give my bardic inspirations out. Everybody has a bardic inspiration now before we fight. He goes into a fight. He rages. He fights and fights until the enemy's dead. When the enemy's dead, he comes out of his rage and he's like, all right, healing time. That's the <laughs> kind of character he plays. There's other ways to play a barbarian, but that is a phenomenal way to do it. And I really appreciate how far he's come. I want to do uh, some character uh, sessions for, for the podcast because some memes I always see about bards and I, I want to say tieflings maybe and like some other characters. They're super horny all the time. Is that like a player thing or like because I can't imagine coming to a D&D session like, Hey, man, I'm going to make out with all these people you guys, you keep creating for me. I mean, well, the idea behind the bard is because at least ideally built, they have a high charisma, high persuasion and performance, and they're just supposed to be like charming seducers. Um, It's just like a stereotype that goes with it. Oh, yeah. It actually falls under warlocks, too, a lot. Sorcerers and paladins are also charisma. There's a lot of charisma casters in 5e. Or maybe that's what I was talking about. Sorcerer and paladins are also charisma casters, but they're not normally as horny. But bards and warlocks tend to be there. And a lot of times a tiefling ends up with a warlock because a tiefling is already like a half devil. Like they already have like a devil blood in them. So it's like, oh, it just makes sense for that. I have a patron that gives me superpowers. But I mean, you don't have to be. It's just how people play. I mean, my, heck, my head just went through a whole rabbit hole. In that same party, we have another bard. We have two bards. Bernard is Jeff's character. He plays very hornily. But then there's Lugos, Liz's character, who is a half-elf bard. And they're a little flirty, but they are just kind of like, I just want to play music and be an adventurer. Like, that's just who they are. I, I played a bard with that, that lead triangle. <laughs> I don't think that he was, he was horny. At that was all. an amazing character. <laughs> he was my favorite character. Just like the idea, you go and you're like, so yeah, I have uh, this performer feature where you know when I play at an inn, I get to stay and eat for free. And the idea was, you went up to the stage and went dink, dink, <laughs> and the bartender comes up and he's like, listen, you can have the room and the food. Just stop playing. <laughs> It was like the anti-bard. Yeah, that would definitely be fun to like dive into classes and stuff. But I think for every episode where we do a specific like D&D thing, we need to counterbalance it with a specific tabletop thing, which I think means we could just do like class reviews and board game reviews. Oh, yeah. If people are interested in that, let us know. Yeah, that'd be sweet. We've been going for quite a while, so I think it's time to wrap it up. You got anything you want to plug, man? No, uh, everything's plugged in today, so uh, still working on digital plugs i guess if we get famous you are not allowed to get a twitter i won't have one if we get popular you are not allowed to get anything to plug you just need to keep this gag going till we die i would know how to use it anyways they, should, they probably should have done this before because we gotta plug Mike's shit I, w- I feel like i should know it already. i know the numbers it's zero two one nine i don't know if that's the right order though ah quick shout out to our buddy mike who can't be here right now he hasn't done a lot of streaming as of this recording, but check them out. Still on mboron0219. Nice. You can tweet at me at DM Joe Thunder. You can email us at the tabletop team podcast at gmail.com. Please send us your questions, comments, and topic suggestions because, good lord, we need them. And we very rarely, but sometimes, will stream on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash the tabletop team. And I think that's everything. Welcome to the tabletop team. 